I don't know where I got this from, so it could be something that I stole from a book. Mm-hmm. Um, this idea that frustration is expectation misaligned with reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was meditating on that idea quite a bit and like what that actually means. Like a, your frustration comes from a misalignment with what's, what's real and what you should expect. Mm-hmm. So I came up with this framework of like how happiness can be attained, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is also a way of saying how do you reduce stress in your life. Yeah. Um, and I think that it can be uh, attained in one of three ways. If you believe that frustration is expectation misaligned with reality. Uh, and I believe that the three ways are one accepting that misalignment mm-hmm. and just understanding mm-hmm. that that's a thing that you, that there is this misalignment between what your expectation is and what the reality is. Uh, the second is changing your expectation. Mm-hmm. Um, so saying, Hey, you know, maybe I am thinking things, uh, and, and imagining something as it can't really be or shouldn't really be or isn't uh and then the the third is actually changing reality um (laughs) you know uh which which i think is potentially challenging uh but i think it's you know it's it's also possible hi my name is Stuart alsop and this is my podcast crazy wisdom where i interview creative people about how they work with and manage the stress that is inherent in creative work what i've realized over the past 10 years of my research is that Anybody who is creating something of value that is significantly different from what has come before is considered crazy. Most of us have a fear, an ingrained fear of going crazy. Uh, So what I'm saying is grab onto that fear, realize that it's there, and just go with it. Because the problems we're going to be facing over the next 20 years require crazy people in order to solve them. Today I sat down with Julian Weiser, the head of growth at Verda Health, a company that has figured out how to reverse type 2 diabetes with dietary change and uh, mental and emotional support through video conferencing. We had a really interesting talk about a lot of different things. We get right into what is reality right in the beginning of the, of the talk. Um, we cover a whole range of topics including diet, social justice, uh, yoga, meditation, a whole bunch of different things. Julian is incredibly well-spoken and has a lot of valuable wisdom to say, particularly about how to work intelligently and effectively with the feelings of frustration and noticing when your expectations of a situation mismatch with what the reality of the situation is. Uh, and what I really like is he offered a way of actually looking at reality and maybe a way that you can change reality, uh, that reality may not be as fixed as we think. Uh, so I highly recommend you listen to this whole thing. There's a lot of valuable wisdom all the way up till the end of it. And if you do enjoy it, please find us on iTunes by searching for Crazy Wisdom and hit the subscribe button. Thank you so much for being listeners, and I hope you have a great day. Hey, I'm Julian Weiser. <laughs> it is Weiser. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> nice. Uh, and what do you do, Julian? Uh, well, I do a number of things. Uh, during the day, I do growth at a company called Verda Health, which is the first clinically proven way to reverse type 2 diabetes without medication and without surgery. Mm. Uh, and so that sounds like there's a lot of stress wrapped up in there. What is kind of your definition of stress? <laughs> well, it's interesting. I, 
I'm, instead of, I'm going to take this a little bit differently. Instead of talking about um, my definition of stress, I think what causes stress? And I think stress is caused by frustration um, and different levels of frustration can turn into things like anger mm. or they can turn into things like sorrow. Mm. Uh, but I think stress is kind of a byproduct of other emotions. Mm. Um, and stress is kind of like this overarching umbrella mm. um, going over anger, going over anguish, mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was recently talking to Chris Saad um, and he talked about the difference between what he viewed as stress and anxiety. So he would have anxiety mm. attacks, but he thought of stress as something different than, mm. than anxiety. But I would put it under this, I would put anxiety as under this general framework of stress kind of hmm. coercive thing. Yeah, I wonder. Um, when, when you're thinking about anxiety, it seems like there's probably some uh, biological component to it, mm. which is different than other, well, I guess there's probably a biological component to anger and mm. to uh, anguish as well. Uh, but I think that there's there's definitely something to be said that, that anxiety is more of a medical condition mm -hmm. uh, than, say, anger. Mm -hmm. being anger a medical. is a common human emotion. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I guess anxiety has varying degrees as well. Uh -huh. um, so depending on how you feel and depending on what that level of anxiety is, I guess it could fall within that sphere of stress or it could be completely outside of it uh -huh. if, it's, if it's this major dominating force. Hmm. One of the interesting things my meditation teacher tells talks to me about is uh, what we talk about is that um, stress is anything the mind creates, basically. So anything on top of reality as we see it, that the mind places on top of reality. Or anytime we look at reality and it doesn't match our expectations of what reality should, then we create stress, basically. Yeah. That's, really, that's actually really funny. So I, I did write this down. Um, this is something that I've been sort of meditating a lot recently. I don't know where I got this from, so it could be something that I stole from a book. Mm. Um, this idea that frustration is expectation misaligned with reality. Mm. Um, and so I was meditating on that idea quite a bit and like what that actually means. Like um, your frustration comes from a misalignment with what's what's real and what you should expect. Mm. So I came up with this framework of like how happiness can be attained, mm. uh, which I think is also a way of saying how do you reduce stress in your life. Yeah. Um, and I think that it can be uh, attained in one of three ways. If you believe that frustration is expectation misaligned with reality, uh, and I believe that the three ways are one, accepting that misalignment mm. and just understanding that that's a thing that you that there is this misalignment between what your expectation is and what the reality is uh, the second is changing your expectation mm -hmm. um, so saying hey you know maybe I am thinking things uh, and and imagining something as it can't really be or shouldn't really be or isn't uh, and then the, the third is actually changing reality <laughs> um, you know uh, which which I think yeah. is potentially challenging yeah. uh, but I think it's you know yeah. it's it's also possible uh -huh. uh, so if you if you if you want to address happiness from that framework of frustration being expectations that's mis misaligned with reality I think you need to do one of those three things yeah. I'd be really curious if you or anybody who listens to this um, has any additional thoughts about how you can attain happiness um, if that if that definition of frustration is true which I, I don't know if it's true I really like the last one which is change reality and that's something that a lot of people particularly a lot of therapists will tell you that it's not possible um, uh, but we've seen our reality change massively over the last 10 years like our, our ability to communicate with other people has massively changed things that would have been considered magic now exists and just wait another 10 years like what you guys are doing um, yeah 10 like 
like reality has changed and reality is constantly in the process of changing. And then you've got things like virtual reality and augmented reality, which are, are also people creating new realities that are, but there, and then, but then there's also the sense of like, can it be fulfilling or is, or is happy inducing, or is it just like the same thing that Facebook is doing and, and, and social media is doing is that making us less unhappy with these new kind of, I don't know. I don't know. What, what do you think of that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because what is reality really? <laughs> um, yeah. this is like a, a big, deep pit that we could jump into that I probably wouldn't be able to climb out of successfully, <laughs> but effectively reality is changing. As you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, new things are, are developing that we can all agree are real to a degree that mm-hmm. you know a, a consensus of people mm-hmm. uh, believe something to be true and therefore it is like i would say that that's the closest thing that i have to reality mm-hmm. um is that a large amount of people acknowledge something as as fact mm-hmm. um you know you have also people who tend to bend reality to their will mm-hmm. um these are sort of the the mavericks um in the business world who uh-huh. effectively you know, they've actually, I think it's like Steve Jobs has been known for having like a reality distortion field uh-huh. uh, where either he believes something um, so strongly that he convinces other people for it to be true and actually wills it into the world, or he just pretends that he believes mm-hmm. and, you know, also mm-hmm. gets the same result. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is uh, consensus reality. So it's the reality that's, that's, that's agreed upon by most human beings. I don't necessarily think that is reality. I think there's a deeper layer of reality, which is just kind of what is going on right now, what around us, what the the, the sounds around us are feeling in our body, and the, the sensation of thoughts appearing as they are in this moment. Um, I think that, and that's a very subjective, individual experience. Uh, uh, but then there is this sense of objective reality as well that 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 I think is it would be unwise to ignore. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, yeah, and I just went down deep down in that pit. <laughs> I don't well, know where to go from there. Oh, it's it's yeah. interesting. I, I think that the average person, and you know, I, I consider myself very average. Um, you know, we have experiences um, that maybe don't necessarily uh, reflect with sort of the general populace, mm-hmm. and it means that we run into a situation where what we believe to be true or what we experience may not actually uh, be what's real Mm -hmm. um, to Mm -hmm. uh, sort of the consensus. I don't know. I, mm. it, it's something that mm. I think a lot about. And when I when I talked about changing reality, I was kind of saying that, um, you know, if you're expecting something to be the way it is, like you should change you should go and work towards changing it so your expectations are Meet met. So, for instance, if you think that something is not right with the world, mm. right, mm-hmm. and you're frustrated about it, mm-hmm. but the reality is, what what you're what you're frustrated about um, is you know it's the reality of the situation. If you actually go out there and change what the world what's going on in the world mm-hmm. uh, for in your mind the better mm-hmm. let's say um, then you're no longer to be frustrated right mm-hmm. because your expectation is now met mm-hmm. uh, this is something you know with regard to social justice issues for mm-hmm. instance right uh, there are a lot of people who are frustrated about certain things that are going on in the world and they go out there and they're trying to change reality mm-hmm. right they're trying to change the way people think about things the way people view things the way people uh, interact with each other mm-hmm. um, and that's I, I think that that's that example of changing reality mm-hmm. um, which I believe 
Hmm. is more of the consensus reality in the Hmm. sense that you need to get a certain amount of people to believe something to be true Hmm. uh, for this expectation uh, to be met and for the frustration to go away. Hmm. This is always an interesting question is whether that is a historical process that humans have very little control over and it's just a trend or whether humans do actually uh, control that that kind of or can influence that that into a particular way. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I read a book uh, recently called Skin in the Game um, by Taleb, and he talks about this idea called the minority rule, mm. which is essentially that in order to make change happen, mm. um, so in order to change reality, you need to have a small amount of people who will not sort of change their way or who really want something to happen a certain way. And then a majority of people who say, eh, like, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I could have it either way. Mm-hmm. But that means that the people who are very um, headstrong about having it a certain way are actually going to win out, even though they have much less power uh, in terms of numbers. But in terms of um, determination, mm-hmm. they're, they're able to sort of push through uh, kind of the, the masses who don't necessarily have an opinion one way or the other. And they're kind of like, I could take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So maybe there's something around that when you're thinking about historical context. Mm-hmm. Certainly, this has been the case with like religions and and Uh things like that. But then, in highly bipartisan or highly contentious issues, then that that becomes almost impossible to make any change because there's two large groups that both have a lot of power. Yeah, and I would and I would say that the the best way to make change Mm -hmm. in that is to either try and find a way to build consensus Mm -hmm. or try and find an issue that your side cares about. Um, but the other side can kind of take it or leave it mm. and then yep. go go with that, go with sort of the minority rule strategy. And that goes into the second point, which is ex- expectations, kind of changing your expectations to fit reality. Yeah. Mm. What was the first one? Uh, accept mis- misalignment, uh-huh. change expectation, or change reality. How do you accept misalignment when you when you face a frustrating issue? Yeah, this is, this is funny. Um, there was a book that someone tweeted out recently, very short book called The Manual. Um, and I forget which Stoic philosopher it was based off of, uh, but I bought it on Amazon. I believe it was Jason Freed um, from, I don't know, he's one of the guys who talks a lot about uh, you know, how you should be doing remote work and how sort of the standard startup path is kind of not all that all it's cracked up to be a really provocative guy on Twitter. Um, never met him in person, but he sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, he he talked. He he pulled this screenshot up, and it essentially said, "When you go out someplace, or when you go and have an take an action, you really should try and be aware of uh, what you'll what to expect, right?" what will you find? Like, I think that the example is going to like a, like a public swimming pool. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, there will be kids making loud noises and there might be people who are stealing things from the locker room. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, you will not be sort of taken back aback by this. If you actually go Mm -hmm. in with the expectation Mm -hmm. that this is the way things are. And I think that that's that, um, it's funny that he, he tweeted this. I think it was yesterday. Um, it's funny that, that this came out because it definitely aligns with this accepting misalignment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or I guess that might be actually the changing expectation. Accepting misalignment is more that you know you will you will 
fall into a situation where um, sometimes what you think is is wrong, right? It's not it's not what the reality is, and like ultimately, unless you're going to um, unless you're going to change uh, your expectations all the time. Which is hard to do, especially if it's something that you don't encounter all the time. Like, I'll give you an example of, of something that um, is infrequent. You know, if I'm going on a boat trip somewhere, right? If I'm getting on a cruise and something happens and it really frustrates me, well, do I really need to like think too hard about like, oh, I should really consider changing my expectations here? Probably not, is I'm not gonna go on a cruise. Like I've never even gone on one. But like the idea is like that is such an infrequent occurrence. But another thing that's a frequent occurrence where I'm continually frustrated, I should probably change my expectation mm-hmm. unless I think that it's worth it for me to change reality or if I can change the reality. Mm-hmm. So an example of this where it's a frequent frustration um, that I'm working to, to change is I actually do the uh, the bike share mm-hmm. uh, program mm-hmm. in San Francisco, um, the Ford Go Bikes. Mm-hmm. And essentially there are these, for people who aren't in San Francisco, um, there are these docks where you can effectively check out a bike uh, and go for a bike ride and use it as a commuting tool uh, and then plug it into another dock at your destination. Uh, unfortunately, this doesn't always work mm-hmm. as it, you know as you plan. Sometimes uh, the bikes are not available. Sometimes there are no docks to actually drop off your bike at the de- destination. And usually, I end up getting very frustrated about this, uh, and it's a recurring thing. Yeah. So what I need to do is I need to uh, either change my expectation of it. Uh, or I need to change the reality of the situation, which means like I either need to um, take a different t- different mode of transportation, uh-huh. uh, or I need to try and figure out a way to work with Ford Go Bike to like change their allocation of bikes, <laughs> or I need to uh, if I'm changing my expectation, I need to be like this sucks yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that that's really how I view that. And that's funny because that's the, I've basically been thinking about this for the last three days because I just got started on jump bikes, uh-huh. um, but because where I live in the Upper Haight, it's at the top of the hill and everybody takes the bike who has a normal schedule they all go down mm-hmm. to the to soma uh and they all the bikes are gone by the time it's like 9 a.m uh and so from 9 a.m till about 4 p.m i can't use jump bikes but then after that point i can use jump bikes any, anywhere in the city and jump bikes are electric bikes where you just take them you you put in a pin code take them and drop them off anywhere else in the city so there's no uh, fixed station which go bikes had so then I downloaded Go Bikes and I um, as the backup option. Mm-hmm. And so to get here, I was wanting to take jump bikes, but I there were no jump bikes around me, so I had to skateboard to the Ford Go Bikes to go pick up an electric bike and then drive it all the way down to Soma. Uh, and so. Yeah, it didn't get me too frustrated, but I'm always thinking about it because I'm always like, I always like to plan in advance. I always like to make sure that I get there on time and being dependent on these new forms of, uh, of transportation is really interesting. Uh, but that's just a random story about, like, <laughs> like, uh, that, that's been kind of going on. What are some other things uh, that you wrote down there? That, that... Totally. Well, I mean, effectively, I just pulled a bunch of stuff that I've been thinking about uh, and tweeting about that I don't necessarily go beyond, you know, 280 mm-hmm. characters. Um, when I'm actually when I'm actually thinking about this, like I just try and condense it down to a very simple idea. Um, but one thing that came to mind as we were talking about what we you know what we should talk about with regard to stress and the creative process um, was this idea of constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I I mentioned recently on Twitter, um, and essentially the idea being that. Um, We've seen that companies that are extremely well funded, you know, to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars in funding, 
paradoxically actually fail at higher rates. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You think that, well, they have so much money, they could, you know, get away with making a lot more mistakes. The reality is that when a lot of companies start to get that money, they actually make bigger mistakes Mm -hmm. uh, and also tend and also, yeah, and also tend to make bigger bets that have longer time horizons to actually determine if they're successful. Um, And people just spend frivolously. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, there are companies that, you know, don't have uh, like a clear path to being Mm -hmm. a sustainable business who are getting like four different types of coconut water Mm -hmm. for their team. It's like like craziness. Like Webvan. Yeah, I mean, it's it's rough. Um, But so like effectively, uh, I was thinking about that and like how um, there are two types of constraints in businesses. Mm -hmm. Um, They're both really tied together, but it's like people constraints and it's um, capital constraints. Mm -hmm. And obviously without capital, um, you can't have people, but uh, you know, I forget who said this, uh, but somebody said something along the lines of, you know, if you're growing fast, you should always feel like you don't have enough people to handle mm-hmm. uh, handle the, the tasks that you need to get done. And that's actually a really good thing. Mm-hmm. It might have been somebody like Paul Graham. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me. Um, and what I, what I got from it was the idea of constraints being super important mm-hmm. and acting as a forcing function towards prioritization mm-hmm. and resource allocation. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you, have, if you don't have enough people to accomplish what you're trying to get done, um, and it's not some absurd degree because mm-hmm. you, you, there, there is such a thing as like starvation, yeah. right? And not having, en- having enough capital or enough people at all. And like, you're really actually truly struggling. Uh, and it's, it's like a death throw type situation. Huh. Uh, but if you, if you literally are without uh, enough people to get something done and you feel like you're struggling to get things done, well, that actually allows you to say, hey, if I can't get everything done, what are the most important things to get done? Mm-hmm. And that's a, a, a thing I'm playing around with is this idea of um, people, it's, it's really hard to do um, it's hard to do less with more, mm-hmm. you know, like the expression that like doing more with less, mm-hmm. um, I think that it's extremely challenging to do less and like really focus, mm-hmm. uh, when you have more resources, mm-hmm. um, because once you have those resources, things start to get like really crazy, really fast. And that kind of ties into the way that we were all developed as an evolution as we were under systems with high, high constraints, basically that, that we were not, we were not able to, to kind of deviate from, from these high constraints. For example, food, we've been talking a lot about, um, the low, high fat, low carb diets and stuff like that. And, uh, that is essentially, we need to now place restrictions on ourselves <laughs> in, in this modern world where there's just everything we could possibly want. And that's really interesting because now the most successful people are probably going to be the ones who can place constraints on themselves and follow through with those. And that probably has a lot to do with upbringing, with, with, with kind of um, where you're born and everything like that, who you're born, what, what society you're born in, what kind huh. of the culture of Malou, what kind of, yeah. We live in a world of abundance mm-hmm. and outside of some very, like, very real issues, um, it's almost like we have constraint, constraint is a privilege, mm-hmm. like in constraining, um, and ultimately you have a lot of issues where it's like, okay, um, phone addiction or, or digital addiction mm-hmm. is going to be a huge problem if 
if it isn't already, I would argue it already is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, being addicted to screens and to things like social media, mm-hmm. though I think some of these things will correct naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that like sort of the the base layer of being addicted to a screen and being addicted to notifications is something that will be mm-hmm. needing. Uh, to be addressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, for instance, things like Facebook or um, Instagram might correct for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, like people might just opt out mm-hmm. um, if they start to realize that it's caustic to them. You're already seeing it to a degree. With Apple, Apple uh, just recently. Yeah, and Apple's done that mm-hmm. that app uh, mm-hmm. that essentially allows you to see your usage, which I think is super helpful. They're one of the few companies that uh, isn't actually motivated by you being mm-hmm. on their app mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. Or, or using their device constantly um, compared to say Facebook or Google where you know your eyeball yeah, yeah. It, like really matters mm-hmm. so I think that they have an important role to play here uh, ultimately though when you look at it it's like consumption uh, of digital media consumption of Food. You have a lot of people who I, I feel like almost the people who have less are the people who are consuming more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have any yeah. data that I could actually point to right here to back this up. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty confident that it exists. And if anybody knows that, please send it to us. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm sure. It, I'm sure it exists. Yeah. But effectively, the idea that people who have less money probably spend more time on their phone and on their computer not doing work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that people uh, also probably eat more calories Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. the less money that they have, Mm -hmm. or at least less healthy uh, food. And this becomes then a huge problem uh, uh, once we have really immersive levels of entertainment, like virtual reality and augmented reality are soon going to become, because then this pull, that dopamine pull, there it is with Facebook, but the dopamine pull becomes so just base and like overwhelming that, you know, only people who have really practiced this idea of constraint or, and that's why stoicism I think is becoming so popular is that it, and, and Eastern traditions of meditation are becoming popular is because these are proven ways to deal with, not even deal with, work with, and uh, um, desire, uh, fear, all of these things that have been with humans for a really long time and that kind of propel us into these emotionally unstable states. Um, so I think I think this is going to become an issue. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm curious to hear sort of your take on where things are going with regard to meditation in the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see it as a thing that you know, as somebody who is living on uh, the coast and mm-hmm. who is in a lot of circles that are related to tech, mm-hmm. um, you know, fairly educated, fairly white. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the people I know who work in tech are men, um, and that needs to change. And we need uh, more representation and more diversity in tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, when I look at this, I see. Uh, most of the people that I know who are getting into meditation are not necessarily the people who need it the most. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I certainly feel like I benefit from it, uh-huh. but I don't necessarily think I'm the person who needs it the most. I feel like meditation and sort of getting away from um, the the stuff that's like distracting and, the, and mm-hmm. especially uh, just getting away from the things that are bad for you. Mm-hmm. Like meditation essentially crowds out time in your day, even mm-hmm. if it's just 15 minutes when you're not looking at your phone mm-hmm. and when you're not doing something that's terrible for your body. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just curious to hear like what your take is yeah, on that yeah. with regard to, you know, do we see that there's any of these 
things that I would say are being adopted by people who are fairly well-to-do. Yeah. Is that is there any chance of that going mainstream? Uh, yes, I do. And actually, I think that there is a problem in that as well. There's an issue in that uh, both among... So now people are starting to use meditation as a technique for uh, um, work enhancement or uh, productivity. Sure. And this is actually a subtle yet similar issue that, it, that meditators have been faced for a long time, which is essentially the quest for power. Um, mm-hmm. And it's been something that's been thousands of years. They call them cities in, in, in Hindi, which is special powers, basically. And these are things that happen if you meditate for long enough. I'm talking like a one to two hours a day for seven years can happen quicker with some people, can not happen at all for some other people. Uh, really strange shit starts to happen. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you, you get access to what other people would call magical powers. Uh, and so, uh, and productivity is like that. A lot of people are now entering this, particularly among the elite, uh, going into meditation with this idea. That's actually how I got into it. Was with, and then you slowly find out that these mean nothing. It's not important. The, 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 that w- the thing that I found the most important is, is living my life in a way that benefits the others around me being a source for kind of overflowing abundance for those for those people around me and and that's just my idea of where where meditation is what the effect the what meditation has done for me and what i hope meditation can do for other people uh kind of and this it gets difficult to talk about meditation at some point because the actual experience of meditation what we're looking for is not something that can be transmitted verbally um, mm. although if you're working with a meditation teacher that meditation teacher can transmit it through words but the experience you feel is not is not something that that can be can be accurately um, uh, described now now we have the question of, of, of meditation coming into the to the general population um, and this is one of the most, biggest issues uh, is that even with the wealthy people, the most important thing you can do is have is a one-on-one um, uh, interaction with somebody to teach you meditation, to give you that experience. Otherwise, everything you're getting is, is, is biased through your own filters of perception. Uh, so you never really kind of jump to that next level, which is, which is necessary to, to, to progress in meditation. And so for... Uh, so the, so the, one of my teachers talks about the kind of content we cre- create or the kind of teaching we can do once we've kind of gone into this world of sharing these meditation practices. There's transactional, uh, which is content, podcasts, uh, films, videos, stuff like that, things where it's a one-to-many connection. And then there's uh, transformational, which is one-on-one. Hmm. And that's the most important, is the transformational. If, you're one of, if you really want to change your life for the better, you're going to have to work with a teacher. It's going to be hard. Um, and... Uh, and I see this being a problem for the mainstream is because it's basically, it's now becoming mainstream in the elite. And then I do think that it will become mainstream, but that's the idea of meditation. It's this idea of this material powers that I'm going to get from this, from this thing. And I, I see some, some problems. I think cults are going to start happening. I think, uh, I think it's going to be really weird, uh, particularly in San Francisco, it's going to get really weird. Uh, and yeah, um, so I see a lot of problems, but then there's a lot of benefits as well, because because it introduces more people to the practice. It, it, if if a lot more people are meditating, we're going to live in a much more calm, kind of uh, um, uh, I don't know, loving, rational uh, way, because meditation helps us to connect with both the rational and the emotional. Um, yeah, what do you what do you think? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I just talking about like how we can have a calmer world mm-hmm. or a world where people um, are less stressed or mm-hmm. are less angry. Um, I think that framework around frustration and, and that misalignment. I think that's really important. And I don't know, maybe meditation has some part in that uh, of acceptance. Mm. Um, 
Hmm. I, I, you know, part of me uh, just wonders, like, if one of the biggest challenges uh, around uh, stress is work hmm. and also just, like, basic, like, being able to survive, hmm. uh, let alone hmm. thrive. Hmm. I think that a lot of people meditation and things like yoga which mm. i think are actually extremely important uh, though i don't really have much experience with yoga myself i, I do understand that there's a, a incredible amount of value there uh-huh. um, those things seem kind of like nice to haves even though i think that they're really actually essential but when you have this challenge of like being able to afford rent mm. and being able to afford to provide and for your family sleep. like on sleep and like and, and not work multiple jobs like all of those things Uh become very challenging and it kind of makes like people talking about mindfulness Mm -hmm. or um yoga or things like that kind of feels like a a nice to have or like Mm -hmm. something that like Mm -hmm. only wealthy people can do Mm -hmm. um and that brings me to the question of like you know should should everyone work Mm. um which Mm. is a a conversation that i've been having with a lot of people um i'm not even going towards like the conversation you're about like universal basic basic income like i think that's a a completely different conversation uh the the first question before you start to think about solution which is universal basic income is is one potential solution the question is should people even work Mm -hmm. and like is is a lack of work um is a lack of work stressful only because there is a lack of income? Um, or is it stressful? Or if people had didn't have to worry about income, uh, would a lack of work be a stressful thing? Um, I think that the answer is probably not, but only if you replace work with something meaningful purposeful. in your life yeah, that's purposeful. Yeah. Uh, that and. I, I just spoke with a, an amazing young woman this morning um, who's worked in uh, hiring for, for many years. Um, she's been a chief of staff for a very notable company. Mm-hmm. And she was telling me, I believe she said it was Eleanor Roosevelt, had this quote that people need to have, uh, need to have meaning or need to have, what the heck did she say? Um, it was something along the lines of people need to be feel like they're doing something, mm-hmm. but it doesn't. It, there wasn't anything about work, right? Work is sort of a way of showing that you're doing something. Um, mm-hmm. Which, by the way, uh, is another topic that I've been thinking a lot about: uh, this idea of output versus activity. Mm-hmm. Um, you could be doing a lot of things, yeah. but what are you actually causing to happen? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know. If you're doing a lot of things, like maybe technically you're doing work and you're getting paid, but is it actually, is the output doing anything meaningful or or having a meaningful impact um, on the world, having meaningful impact on your community? And I think that if you start to decouple work uh, from impact or from output um, and instead, you know, you're contributing to your community in some way, Mm -hmm. I don't think you need to necessarily work in the traditional sense of doing some task uh, for income. This is what I've been thinking a lot about in particular the last couple of days is how when I'm, when I'm experiencing stress, when I'm experiencing frustration, I have all these things that I want to get done that are work related for me, uh, that are also happen to be fun, but, but, but tied to what I want to do eventually for money. One of, one of which is this podcast, which, um, and, and so like thinking, okay, I gotta do the website, gotta get all the content for the website, gotta create the, create, um, you know, reach out to a lot of people, market it and stuff like that. 
uh, and then I find myself all day researching like the ketogenic diet and like, and like, and like, you know, not doing the things I want to do. Uh, but then doing this other thing, which in that moment is kind of fun and it's kind of like it's, but it doesn't feel like work or something, but it is, it is technically work. I'm reading, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about stuff. I'm, I don't know. And so this, so there's a book a long time ago about games and how, what games do basically is get people to work for free, um, hmm. by providing, uh, incentives, uh, dopamine hits, stuff like that, which then Facebook read this book, uh, and, and all these uh, behaviorists read this book and then built their systems to also do that, provide that same type of work for free. So every time you're posting on Facebook, you're working for Facebook. Like you're, you're, I'm, uh, I do it all the time. I'm creating a, you know, I've created blog posts basically for Facebook, which brings me no revenue, uh, which brings Facebook a lot of time, a lot of eyeballs on their things. Uh, and so I'm essentially doing work for Facebook for free. I mean, there's an exchange element because what I am getting, I'm getting access to things through Facebook that I wouldn't normally get events, uh, all these different stuff, uh, connections, business stuff, and, and all these different things. Now the element that is interesting that I've seen over the evolving Facebook platform over the last three years is now that they're starting to make money, they've turned into a large business, uh, they know where their money's coming from, they basically, and they, I, don't, I can't find any backing to this, but I know it's happening, is that they throttle their Facebook posts, basically. If, you don't, if, you, if, if they analyze that you're post has a business element to it. So for example, you're posting to a, uh, your podcast episode or anything that links outside of Facebook, uh, they will throttle that post. Uh, uh, and then uh, what do you, do you believe that or do you have you? I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, what I, what I do know is this is something that I've heard before. Uh -huh. um, I don't know if it's true. Um, it seems like it could be, and it would in some ways be in Facebook's best interests. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that people will say the same thing about LinkedIn, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, if you post something to LinkedIn you uh, and you post a link mm -hmm. in your status update, which I don't know very many people who actually do this, mm -hmm. but apparently it's very useful um, for, for certain types of objectives, oh. um, they will degrade the amount of people who see it if there's an external link. Oh. Uh, and the trick to get around that is uh, post like a photo uh -huh. and post some text uh -huh. and then say something like link in the comments uh -huh. and then you post a link as the first comment yeah. um, so then it tricks the theoretically it tricks it I again I don't necessarily know if that's 100% true yeah. <laughs> um, it seems like it could be and enough people have said it that it could just be either wi a widely accepted um, False uh -huh. falsehood, uh -huh. or it could be something that's true. Uh -huh. um, I don't think it necessarily hurts to use that method mm -hmm. um, for posting on LinkedIn. So um, I want to take it back to the constraints and like what uh, what kind of constraints have you now that you've been thinking about this? Have you been able to apply this in your life? Yeah, I mean, I try to not give myself very much time to accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. uh, if I give myself time to accomplish something, um, it mm -hmm. just ends up being a terrible situation. And, you know, this is a very common thing, like Parkinson's law, the idea that the amount of time that you allocate towards something will essentially, uh, or it will, uh, yeah, effectively, like the amount of the amount of work and the amount of time it takes you to accomplish something will expand to fill the time you, that you give it, right? Mm -hmm. The time that you allot it. So if I say, okay, I'm going to give myself five hours to write something, well, it will probably take me five hours, mm -hmm. uh, maybe exactly five hours. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I say, you know, I just really need to buckle down and write this thing in like 20 minutes, uh -huh. I might be able to get there, uh -huh. or. 
if it really is a five hour type project, it's probably better to say like, what can I do in 20 minute spans of time? Uh Um, And there's a whole bunch of different things around this. I believe it's called the Pomodoro technique, Uh which is effectively taking certain allocated segments and doing a cadence of 20 minute blocks and then having these like short breaks, I think it's like two and a half minutes or five minutes, you can set the amount of time that you work and the amount of time that you break Mm -hmm. and sort of what that interval looks like. Mm -hmm. But the idea being allocate a very strict amount of time and then every time your mind sort of goes off or you realize that you've lost your attention, you can hone back and say, well, it's just for another 15 minutes Mm -hmm. or just for another 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you do that, I think that allows you to retain focus. I think that the idea of uh, constraints, though, uh, directly leads to reduced stress. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it might lead to a, a sort of uh, good stress mm-hmm. in the sense that like, oh, shoot, I only have 15 minutes. I better buckle down and do this, uh, which is a better stress than kind of this low level stress mm-hmm. that let's say you have a quarter to do something. Mm-hmm. You know, you have three months. Well, okay, if I have three months to do something, I sure as heck better be breaking it down and figuring out, you know, what I'm going to do this week to, and what I'm going to do next week to accomplish this goal at the end of the month. And in trying to like break it down into as small of a piece as possible so that I can really just like narrowly focus in on getting that done. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reduces stress versus having this like larger, broader, more ambiguous goal. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, has a longer time horizon. Mm. So I'd like to talk more about what you're kind of creating. Uh, what are you guys trying to do with Beyond Deck? So yeah, so uh, on Deck, uh, it's beyonddeck.co. Um, essentially, this is a thing that's been going on for quite some time. Uh, Eric Tornberg, my friend, um, he's was one of the first employees at Product Hunt, or I believe he was the first employee at Product Hunt. Uh, currently, he's at a fund that he started called Village Global. It's a really interesting fund uh, dedicated to providing um, tons of resources to founders mm-hmm. uh, and treating it more like an accelerator than your typical fund. But they're backed by some of the best uh, best founders and, and operators in the world. It's, it's a truly remarkable team that they've assembled. But On Deck started when Eric was leaving Product Hunt and figuring out what he wanted to do next. And he started putting together these informal dinners of people who were also considering what they wanted to do next. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's evolved into effectively a global community of people who are looking to start or join something new. And this community is really incredible. Uh, It's kind of a thing that's grown organically and, you know, we're just trying to nurture that and provide resources. Um, And it's global. It's global. Yeah. At this point we are in nine cities, I believe. I can't name them all off the top of my head without forgetting a few, but um, what I can tell you is most recently, uh, this last month, um, September, we launched in Budapest. We did our launch dinner in Budapest, and we did one in Vienna. Um, So it's not just sort of like the typical places that you think for startups. We are in LA, Uh you know, we're in New York, we're in Tel Aviv, we're in London. London's amazing. Um, One of the the best ones Uh uh, for us right now. Um, So we're in all of the the standard places, but what we really want to do is want to take one of the best elements of uh, Silicon Valley, which is this idea of a spirit of service to others. Mm-hmm. And we want to take that and have that be sort of the main cultural export mm-hmm. uh, via on deck. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is there's something really great about this area of the country. And I think it's 
to a large degree transferred over to other tech hubs in, in the United States of somebody could email somebody and as long as they're not trying to be transactional and it's not just about like, hey, can you be a customer or can you invest in my company or something like that? And it's just like a very earnest, like, hey, I'd love to talk to you about X, Y, or Z and I really admire your work. There's this level of people will definitely respond time. and take the time and yeah. the, there's that spirit of service and, and trying to help others be successful. Yeah. Uh, you don't really see that in any other, uh, in any other industry mm-hmm. and it's certainly a thing that that really started here, uh, and that's you know gone to other tech hubs and around I, the United States. I have a, so what you just said reminds me, and it's been in my mind for a long time, but it hasn't really kind of come into 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 fruition recently. Is that basically, I want to do a separate podcast series where I try to get down to in the 1960s and the 1970s what happened here in this area that created the the constraints and the the, the kind of ability for this area to become so powerfully powerful economically, innovation-wise, and stuff like that. And I have a theory that it has some, a lot to do with the fact that this was also the head of the countercultural movement, which also was was part of the meditation, new age, spiritual movement as well. All of that happened here, well, in San Francisco, and then sure. Silicon Valley, you had just to the south. So there's, I, I'm really interested to see how influential these meditation practices, because what you just said, the spirit of service is a key ingredient in any spiritual practice, is that you... you the, the quickest way to happiness, the quickest way to truth, the quickest way to any of it is to serve others. And that is the, the and, and that's seeped into the, to the startup culture as well. That's a really interesting way of putting it. I mean, that's something that I'd be very interested in as well. I, I know that, you know, the connection between music, uh, the connection between art and technology mm-hmm. and science mm-hmm. uh, is something that mm-hmm. started out very organically and naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what people criticize about the tech scene in San Francisco is that uh, maybe people don't necessarily appreciate that uh, sort of the, the, the way that the tech scene started. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that is not appreciated or not as well understood as it could be. And there are very luckily people who are in San Francisco who started a lot of these things, who were involved in a lot of these mm-hmm. early days of mm-hmm. um, startups and technology in, in the Bay Area, and they're still contributing and still doing a lot of good things. I mean, uh, something that I recommend to everyone is uh, that they go to see Talks at the Lung Now, um, which is a, a, an institution dedicated to long-term thinking, um, started by Stuart Brand and Kevin Kelly. Stuart uh, ran the Whole Earth Catalog, which I would describe as the L.L. Bean Catalog meets like some cool zine meets some like like really really good Amazon or Goodreads reviews. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Effectively, they curated all this great information about knowledge and and how to acquire knowledge uh-huh. uh, with regard to everything from building your own home to uh, understanding what you're looking at when you look up at the stars uh, to, mm. you know, things like camping and wilderness and this survival. Was the internet. This is before the internet. Right. So it was the whole earth catalog. It was like literally a magazine. Um, and then Kevin Kelly was the other one who started the long now. Uh, he's the founder of Wired uh-huh. yeah. magazine. So mm. in, in my mind, those are the two most important publications. Whole earth catalog more from a, 
uh, counterculture perspective and wired more from like a technology perspective, but those two really crossed a lot of paths. Mm -hmm. And um, that intermingling, I think, is what's particularly powerful. I know that Steve Jobs mm -hmm. uh, cited Stuart Brand as one of his biggest influences, and uh, Stuart Brand was a member of like the Merry Pranksters with Ken mm -hmm. Kesey and all of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then of course, mm -hmm. Ken oh, Kesey, okay, yeah. you know, he was very involved with the music scene, and the Grateful Dead got started by playing at Ken Kesey's parties. So you have this whole thing where it's like, it's drugs and it's technology and it's science and it's music and it's like sort of that whole era around expression and love. Yeah. Um, all of those things really came together and I think that there was a lot more mischievousness around uh, technology back then uh -huh. too. It was it's definitely more renegade yeah. than mm -hmm. it is now. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't the smart thing to do. Like it was uh -huh. actually kind of like a completely illogical thing to do uh -huh. uh, back then. <laughs> and now I think it's kind of become like a really viable career like yeah. option for mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. And you see like um, essentially like educational programs coming out like Lambda School uh, that are focused on making it so that people who don't necessarily have opportunity to, in the traditional sense, but have you know, intelligence mm -hmm. and, you know, they should be able to be making $80,000 to $100,000 or more a year uh, as a developer, but they're stuck at Walmart because of mm -hmm. circumstances largely outside of their control mm -hmm. uh, up until this point. I mean, with cripple, things like crippling student debt, uh, you can't really go and get re-educated as a 40-year-old mm -hmm. or a 35-year-old who has two kids and a mortgage to pay. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, in the Midwest, in some parts of the Midwest, that's really hard to do and it's really hard to get by with the salary that you're already making so you're kind of locked into that life mm. um, so creating alternative on-ramps I think is really important for this new economy mm -hmm. that really interesting um, I wanted to back up a little bit uh, maybe got about yeah 10, 10 minutes left but uh, but uh, uh, what you said about long now in itself uh, uh, a place where people in San Francisco can go and find interesting conversations and kind of and this is happening all over the city like this is the most interesting thing about San Francisco is that you can find like it's a bohemian kind of like just revolution here it seems like and not only things that are financially motivated a lot of it isn't financially motivated a lot of it's about self-help self-growth self, -help, self, self uh, you can go to the center in San Francisco and find workshops on any hippie thing you want yeah. you can go to um, the Red Victorian and find really science-based uh, things and this is all this is something that's kind of uh, typically San Francisco now but it's also entering to other places so I've started to see it in Bali for example mm. because so many people from San Francisco go to <laughs> Bali yeah. and so they're now spreading it to there and then one of my friends is Romanian I, she's never been here I, I don't think but I met her in Romania part of the startup community in Romania and she went to Bali picked up the stuff that's been going on in San Francisco and now she's brought it back to Romania and so and then a little bit of it's happening in Latin America, and, and it's kind of being spread by this digital nomad cryptocurrency kind of groups as well. Sure. Um, what are your thoughts on on where that could go, or like? I I think that it's I think it's great. I think that in some ways, some cultural artifacts, some ways of living, can't really be transferred um, except through interpersonal mm -hmm. uh, interactions, like in person. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's really hard to really convey what life is like for people who are living in San Francisco mm -hmm. 
doing things that I would say are a little bit more edgy than maybe your standard uh, your standard person who's working like you know as an engineer at Google not to say anything negative about Google um, mm-hmm. but you know ultimately uh, there are a lot of people who are doing all sorts of crazy things mm-hmm. um, you know and if they're if they're if you're trying to start a, like a really crazy creative business that you think is just like nuts but has like a huge opportunity to impact the world in a positive way like we obviously want to hear from you at on deck um, my email is julian j-u-l-i-a-n at beyonddeck.co um, but anyways you know we really want to like have more crazy people um, <laughs> like honestly yeah. like there are a lot of crazy people at on deck yeah. and I think that that's uh, what we want to try and optimize for we want to try and make it so that there are people who have like really nuts ideas. All of the ideas um, that you hear about that are really successful now kind of sounded a bit crazy, mm-hmm. uh, at least from like a business perspective. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are ones that either they're wildly ambitious or they don't sound like a business at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you follow either of those frameworks of like creating something that was like, okay, like this maybe like some people will pay money to stay on somebody's floor or something. Like, okay, that's like maybe it's like a, a very modest business, but it doesn't seem like a huge deal. Um, you have that side of it, or you have stuff where it's just like that seems like impossible, where it's like reversing diabetes in 100 million people by 2025. Mm-hmm. Um, like, those sorts of things, like either end of that spectrum could be crazy in their own right. Yep. Because you're like, oh, these kooky guys like trying to get people to crash on their floor, mm-hmm. and this like these crazy people who think that they can like change something that reverse something that people think is irreversible uh-huh. right um, either end of that spectrum is really interesting to me and that's that's the whole point of, of what I'm trying to do with the show is basically that f- from where we stand right now it's pretty hard to separate the people who uh, are actually crazy and the people who are going to change this world because both of them look crazy uh, and like you can only tell that in a hundred years so I'm basically interviewing anybody <laughs> who, who, who is crazy basically yeah, yeah. So, I mean it's it's really important that we encourage that and that we don't make tech into like only this thing mm-hmm. that like you have to go to school for and yeah. that you have to like clearly you need to have some level of education around how to build and how mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff you can learn on the go I I don't think that you can be a great salesperson without a lot of training a lot of practice uh, but I you you've seen time and again that people who are engineers mm-hmm. uh, can can work through it and struggle through it and with some training they could become uh, great salespeople or at least mm-hmm. functional salespeople mm-hmm. until the point where they are successful enough that they can hire a sales team or a salesperson to really lead the charge there for their company mm-hmm. uh, but I, I mean I'd love frivolous things like mm-hmm. I love things that aren't necessarily uh, businesses uh, and I think that those spark a lot of conversations I, I will say that you know we have a lot of crazy conversations with people that on deck um, where it's like because people are so early on, they haven't necessarily honed in on what their business is going to mm-hmm. be, right? Mm-hmm. They they might have not left their job or might not have told people at their, their current job that they're leaving. So they're very much in an exploratory phase where they're like, you know, I'm really interested in X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to talk through it now and maybe my ideas are crazy. Maybe they're not feasible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the difference between something that's like, that sounds crazy, but actually isn't. Like, like it's very hard to actually parse through that. Yeah. And the only way you know is if you try in some mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And you just get familiar with this whole process of 
being in this edge world of craziness and just like really weird shit. <laughs> totally. I mean, I, I think that honestly, like my degree of crazy that I experience on a daily basis is not, is not nearly enough. Like uh -huh. <laughs> I, I'm seeking more craziness. So uh -huh. please, uh, I hope, I hope more crazy people maybe listen to this podcast or something and, and message me. And reach out. Yeah. How can people find you on Twitter? Uh, well, my Twitter is just my first name and my last name, which is at J U L I N W E I S S E R. And uh, my email is just julian at beyonddeck.co. Uh, either of those things work. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, you know, I'm happy to happy to help. Like I always have time for founders is uh -huh. the thing that I mm -hmm. I really try and take really seriously. Um, always having time to talk through things. And you know, maybe it won't seem like the thing for me, but I'll at least try and if if it seems like somebody's coming from the right place, mm -hmm. I'll try and reply to every email and mm -hmm. try to try to help people out however cool. I can. That's really amazing. And I want to ask you specifically because you came so well prepared with these notes. Uh, what what is one book that you've read in the last month that's kind of really changed your your perspective on things? On yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, well, I can just I can send you a link that has the books that I've read this year. Um, there's this book that I'm in the process of reading that is actually the most challenging book that I've read this year, uh, even though it's the most simply worded. Uh, it's called Finite and Infinite Games. Hmm. And it is about how people look at the world mm -hmm. and how people live their lives. And it touches on everything from patriotism and war um, to competition, hmm. um, which patriotism and war are forms of competition, uh -huh. but uh, and creativity and the difference between society and culture uh -huh. and things like that. It's a, it's a giant wormhole. And uh -huh. I, I'd recommend, uh, honestly, a bunch of people getting around a microphone and discussing what they've read in that book uh, um, uh, because it is one of the most interesting books I've read in the last few years. I would also say that it's one that I read a couple of pages of and then I sit back uh, and I need to give myself a day or two before I pick it up again to internalize it and then I usually read those pages again and then read another four pages mm -hmm. before moving on. And This reminds me of beginning of infinity oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah that's the book i've been reading recently that's cool I, i've heard somebody recommend another one of deutsch's books uh, um, fabric of reality that's the yeah. one yeah mm -hmm. and she said that that completely changed her life and like the way she views the world uh -huh. and i don't know if i'm ready for it yeah <laughs> beginning of infinity it's almost like working with a medit meditation teacher it's pretty powerful stuff amazing yeah cool thank you so much for being on the show of and, course yeah uh, yeah this has been great yeah cool